The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. So begins a tale so epic, it took 42 years and a brush with death before Stephen King would complete it. Inspired from Robert Browning, The Lord of the Rings, The King Arthur Legend, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, the Dark Tower series spans eight books and one short story, and I want to talk about each one. Just, you know, not at the same time. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that doesn't pick up the phone. So stop calling. I'm your host. My name is Stephen. And today we begin our look at the sprawling Stephen King epic, The Dark Tower series. And we start with book one, The Gunslinger. Now, if you aren't familiar with The Dark Tower series, let me drop some facts on you. The Dark Tower is a series of eight books and one short story. And it was written by Stephen King. I think we've established that already. It spans multiple genres, including dark fantasy, science fantasy, horror, and Western. It is the epic story of a quote-unquote gunslinger and his quest to find the mythical Dark Tower. The first novel is called The Gunslinger, and he began writing all of this in 1970, when he was just 23 years old. He was inspired by the Robert Browning poem, Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came from 1955. He dawdled quite a bit in the beginning. I mean, it took him 12 years to write and publish the first novel, and then 15 years to write and publish the next three. But then in June of 1999, he was struck by a car while out for a walk, and he nearly died. He took this as a sign that somebody was trying to tell him to finish this series, and he got to work. After recuperation and all that, book five was published in 2003, while books six and seven were both published in 2004, and that technically completed the series. But hold on, I know I said there were eight books in the series. See, in 2012, he published The Wind Through the Keyhole, which was a Dark Tower book, and it takes place between books four and five of the series. But we're here today to talk about the first book, The Gunslinger, which, like I said, he began writing in 1970 when he was just 23. He originally wrote it as a series of five short stories, all of which were published in the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. That's a great name for a magazine. It doesn't really beat around the bush. As far as what that magazine's about, you're reading the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. So the first short story was just titled The Gunslinger, and it was published in October of 1978. The second was called The Way Station. It was published in April of 1980. The third was called The Oracle and the Mountains. It was published in 1981. The fourth story was The Slow Mutants, which was published in July of 1981. And then the final short story, The Gunslinger and the Dark Man, it was published in November of 1981. Now, he took those five short stories and he put them together. He added some new stuff. He revised some scenes and all that. And he he put it all together in one big novel called The Gunslinger. And that was published in 1982. He went back in 2003 and he revised and he expanded some of the scenes changing them so that they would fit better 
with the books that followed because he made mention of certain things in later books that kind of contradicted what he had put in The Gunslinger. So he changed all that in 2003. And that's the book that you can get today. So The Gunslinger tells the story of a gunslinger. His name is Roland. He's of Gilead. And he has a quest to catch the man in black, which ultimately will lead him to the Dark Tower. I honestly don't remember when I listened to this recently if his goal is to catch the man in black so he can then move on to the Dark Tower. I almost feel like after he ends up catching him, that's what sets him on his quest for the Dark Tower. But I I honestly can't remember. If, If you've read it, and you do remember, let me know, feedback at justanotherfanboy.com. So when the book opens, Roland is traveling across the desert, and he's searching for this guy called the Man in Black. He knows him as Walter. Right away, he encounters a farmer named Brown with his crow named Zoltan, who can speak, sort of. He repeats like little rhymes, like beans, beans, the magical fruit. The more you eat, the more you toot. He's the, the crow says that a lot. And he's there and he spends the night. He finds out that the man in black did pass through. And as he's staying the night, he recounts something in his just very near past in which he spent some time in a town called Toll. It's a small town. It was before he, he, he came to this f- home of this farmer and his crow Zoltan. And, uh, he, he tells this, this farmer this story of the time that he spent in Toll. Apparently the man in black had stayed there as well. And while he was there, the man in black brought this other man back to life. There's this stuff in the world of this, of the dark tower called devil grass that it's kind of like an opiate. It's a drug. Um, I feel like people, harvest it and they smoke it but this guy who's I, I i honestly can't remember a lot of names this guy just pulled the the devil grass from the ground and chewed on it he was just way addicted he was way past the point of no return on this devil grass and it ended up killing him and it killed him just before the man in black reached toll they were having a memorial or a funeral of some sort i believe it again I waited too long to talk about this book. It's been a month since I listened to it. I should have done this episode sooner. But the important bit here is that the man in black brings this drug addict back to life. And as he once he does so, he tells the the woman who is the bartender, he tells her that there is a number that this drug addict dude knows um and that the number will unlock the secrets to life or something like that. And that he will tell the, the drug addict guy will tell her, the bartender, what this number is. And once, once he tells her this number, she's going to learn the secrets to life, but it's also going to drive her crazy. So she knows that if all she has to do is ask this drug addict guy what the number is and the guy will tell her and then she will know this mysterious thing about life, but it's going to drive her mad. But as the man in black tells her, you will eventually ask him for that number. There's, it's, you're not going to be able to help it. So basically, he has told her what her fate is. So Roland, as he comes into Toll, he ends up shacking up with this bartender lady, and she tells him about the man in black bringing the guy back to life. And then that Sunday rolls around, and the whole town goes down to the church, and Roland goes down to the church to to see the the lady that that preaches, and. uh he ends up meeting with her later 
and she reveals to him that the man in black has, he's made her with child, but that the child is a demon and that she thinks that Roland is evil and that the man in black is an angel, basically. I don't think she, I don't think she thinks, how do I put this? I don't believe that she is under the impression that this child that the man in black has impregnated her with is a demon. I think that she believes that it's also an angel. Um, and she ends up turning the entire town against Roland. I mean, just like he just steps out into the street one day and the entire town just comes at him. Just like this madness, this, this rage, fury, madness. And they all just man, woman and child. They just come after him and they try to kill him. And he's got his pair of revolvers and he ends up having to, to kill every resident in town. And we learn that this was, of course, a trap laid for him by the man in black, Walter. So after he tells this story to Farmer Brown, he goes to sleep. The next morning he wakes up. The mule that he had brought with him to Farmer Brown's house has died in the night. And he leaves it with the farmer who's going to use it for food. And he proceeds out into the desert on foot. He eventually comes to a way station in the middle of the desert. And Staying at the way station is a boy named Jake Chambers who is not of this world. Roland can't find out much, however, because he immediately passes out from dehydration. Jake kind of nurses him back to life. He gets some water for him and all that. And the two have a talk. And eventually, Roland hypnotizes Jake to learn the details of how he got to the way station. Jake Chambers, it turns out, is from our world. And... His father is like a TV executive. He is, uh, he's from a very wealthy family. He's maybe like 11 or 12 years old. And it, and he lives in the seventies. That's what it sounds like. He lives in seven, the seventies in New York City. And at one point on his way to school, somebody, and I, I, I feel like we learn it was the man in black, Walter, pushes him off the sidewalk and into traffic and in front of a cab that hits him. He dies, quote unquote, dies. And when he wakes up, he wakes up here in mid the mid-world, or now I can't remember what it's called, mid-realm, mid-world, uh, at this way station. So basically, Roland now has to take care of this kid, and the kid's going to come with him as he goes out after the man in black. But he goes down into the cellar of this way station to search for food, and down there he encounters a demon. Roland kills the demon, or takes care of it, or whatever, and... He reaches into this hole in the wall. He's like in this dirt cellar and the demon was speaking to him through this hole. And he reaches in after the demon's gone and he finds a jawbone. And so he takes it. So he and Jake make their way across the desert. At one point, they come across a succubus that tries to uh, take Jake. Roland gives Jake the jawbone and tells him it's a protective charm. And then he, uh, this is where it gets weird. Stephen King often adds these weird sexual elements into his book that I, I don't know, I think sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. The end of it didn't really work for me, but I don't know, in this, whatever, he ends up, basically, Roland ends up having to couple with this succubus to learn about his fate, because we learn that the succubus is an oracle, and she tells him about his fate and a bit about, you know, his, he, he in the end, he's going to seek out the Dark Tower. That night, he tells a story to Jake about his youth and how his father was basically the head dude, the head gunslinger, Stephen Deshane. 
it's almost as if, and I again, I don't remember if they come right out and say it, but it's like Stephen DeShane, his father, is basically almost King Arthur. He's he's in control of everything. He has a a wizard at his side named Martin, who is having an affair with Roland's mother. At this time that he's telling this story, he's 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 14 and he is training to be a gunslinger. And when he learns that that Martin, his father's wizard, has seduced his mother, Gabrielle, Roland realizes he, he can't do anything about it until he is an official gunslinger. Now, he also tells about a, a, a moment where before this happened, where he learns there there's somebody and I man, I can't remember his name. I think they call him the good man. Basically, somebody who is starting a rebellion. And he learns that the cook that he's grown up with, the cook in the palace, who has always uh, been known to sneak him food and whatnot. He learns that the cook is planning something for the good man to uh, kill a bunch of people. And he tells his father. And so they arrest the cook and they take him to another place to hang him. And Roland goes with one of his friends. He's got a couple of friends, Elaine, uh, or is it Alan? I can't remember how they pronounce his name. Cuthbert. Uh, one of the two go with him to witness this hanging, which, um, is kind of a moment in Roland's life that he needs to witness. It helps him grow up a bit. But then when he learns about Martin and his mother, um, he decides he, he, he's done with this training. He needs to be a gunslinger now. The only way he can do that is by challenging their teacher, Court, to a duel. And if the boy wins, he becomes a gunslinger. If the boy loses, he's sent out into the desert to just fend for himself, basically. And at the age of 14, Roland is like the youngest to have ever done this. And so he challenges Court. Court tells him to to get his, to pick a weapon and meet him back into the little dueling arena area or whatever, an hour, two hours, whatever. And the weapon that he chooses is this hawk named David. Now, it's an old hawk that he has been, that he uses for hunting. And he basically uses it to distract Court. You know, when they, when they show up for the duel, Court's like, have you chosen your weapon? And he says, yes, I choose this hawk. And Court's kind of thrown off guard. And he basically launches the hawk, David, at Court. And it goes right for his face and starts clawing at him and tearing at his face with his beak. And then Roland just jumps on him. And anyway, Roland ends up winning and he becomes a gunslinger. But Court kind of takes him aside and he says, look, I know why you've done this. And the one thing I would counsel you on is patience. He says, look, I'm I'm no longer your teacher. You're now a gunslinger. You tell me what to do. But patience, don't. Use this as an excuse to go after. Basically, I don't even think he uses Martin's name, but basically he tells him, don't use this to immediately go and challenge Martin. This is not the time to do that. Have patience, learn more, become more of a man, and then eventually you'll you'll want to stand up to him. So we go back to Jake and Roland, and they continue on with their journey. They eventually reach the foot of some mountains, and they see the man in black up there in the mountains and they, they, uh, hurl insults or whatever, you know, they kind of throw jibes back and forth. And the man in black tells him that he will see him on the other side of the mountain, but only him kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You're the boy with you. He's not going to make it. And so that of course 
worries Jake that he's either going to die or that Roland is going to abandon him. And the two, instead of making their way up the side of the mountain, they go into in, into the mountains where there is uh, mines and uh, an old railway with the with the hand car. And so they're riding this hand car through these through this railway through these mountains. And they encounter these creatures who live in the mountain called the slow mutants. And it's something happened at some point in the past that we have to assume was a, a, a nuclear war or something involving radiation that mutated a bunch of people and they turned them into these slow mutants and they attack and they have to fight off these slow mutants. And in the end, before they can get out of the mountain, Jake is about to fall into this abyss and Roland, it's like he has a choice. He can either move on or save Jake. But if he saves Jake, he can't move on. I can't remember exactly how it it fell into place, but he had to let Jake fall in order to move forward. His quest for Walter and then beyond that, the Dark Tower is so consuming at this point that he lets this, you know, 11, 12 year old child fall into this black abyss. And as he's falling, Jake calls out to him, go then, there are other worlds than these, which is kind of a foreshadowing. We'll find out in, in, a, in another book. That's all I'm going to say. Well, eventually, Roland catches up to Walter, and rather than just duking it out right away, they sit down and they have a little palaver. And Walter reads his fortune or his fate from a pack of tarot cards, basically, and he pulls out various omens, the sailor, the prisoner, the lady of the shadows and death, but not for the gunslinger. And we learn that they're kind of hinting that uh, at, at some point, and I, I, they, they might actually even tell him by the end of it, but there will be a death. It's not going to be Roland. Roland is going to go on. He's going to come down. He's going to find himself on a beach where he will... Uh, encounter three doors and through those doors he will draw these three companions and one is the prisoner and one is the lady of the shadows so walter then also tells him that he's not actually roland's true enemy he also basically reveals that he's martin martin and walter are the same person at one point as roland is chasing him across the desert his mind gets a little confused and he starts to think that he he, he can't quite understand where walter came from uh, but he thought maybe he was a protege of Martin, but we find out they're one in the same and that he is the lackey of someone called the Crimson King. And that's who he works for. And that's who is Roland's true enemy. And the, the Crimson King controls the Dark Tower. And that's why he has to find the Dark Tower to, to, uh, wrest control of it from this Crimson King. And he sends Roland a vision of like the universe and his place in it. You know, by he's trying to he's trying to scare him off by showing Roland exactly how insignificant he is because he shows him the planet and more planets and the galaxy and the universe and all this stuff. And and how Roland is just this tiny little speck amongst it all. And he asks Roland to renounce his quest. You know, just don't go after the Dark Tower. It's not something you want to do. Roland refuses. And that's when the man in black tells him, all right, well, then you need to go west if you're going to. If you're going to go after the Dark Tower, that's where you start. Go west. And then he puts Roland to sleep. Well, when Roland wakes up, he discovers that like a decade has passed. There's a skeleton lying next to him that he assumes is Walter's. He takes a jawbone from the skeleton and he 
begins traveling again until he finds himself on the shore of the Western Sea. And that's how the first book ended. Now, the first time I ever read this book, I actually listened to it. I was in my 20s. I was working at this this place. I was working in an overnight shift at a place that manufactured medical tubing. It was a really boring place to work. I had three different jobs that I rotated around through during the night. For the first third of the night, I would sit at a table and I would take these big bundles of medical tubing and I would dunk the ends of the tubing into like a solvent, uh, gluey type stuff. And I would stick connectors to the ends of these tubes so that other tubes could be connected to this tubing or medical devices of some sort could be connected to this tubing. And then we basically had like these big sawhorses on wheels with all of these bundles of tubes on them. We would put connectors on all of them. They'd go to the next part of the line, which was the thing I did for the second third of the night where you took each individual tube onto a machine that wound it up into a coil slipped it into a band, threw it into threw that into a into a cart, and then eventually once the cart was filled, it would go to the last part of the line where somebody would, and that was the third part of my night, feed these coils that were wrapped in bands into a machine, and that would seal them in these pouches, and then they would go into boxes which would be shipped off to medical facilities. It was really boring. You know, it was a factory job, but it wasn't labor intensive. And so they allowed you to to listen to your Walkman because at the time, that's what you had. You had Walkmans. And I started, you know, after I got sick of just listening to all my music over and over again, I discovered books on tape that you could get from the local library. And I went through every Stephen King book on tape that they had. And it was literally tape cassettes. You know, nowadays you go to Audible and you have everything you want. It's all digital. You get it on your phone and you listen to it. But back then you had to carry around a bag with, you know, full of tapes. And uh, eventually I got to the Dark Tower books. Uh, at the time, there were only a couple out. I think there were three at that point, uh, the first three, and they were all read by Stephen King. It was really fun listening to these books read by Stephen King. I can tell you, and it's probably still my opinion now, The Gunslinger is probably not my favorite of the series. Again, he wrote it when he was in his 20s. He hadn't quite become the master of his craft that he eventually would become. Uh, now he did again, he did, th- you know, this time reading it or listening to it. This is the newest version that he went through and, uh, revised and added some stuff to and took some stuff away. So it, the version that I listened to recently is probably a little bit better than the original version I listened to back in the late nineties. And I can't remember who read it. Just a sec. I'm going to look that up for you in just a second. It was read by a guy named George Gadal. Not really sure who that is, but he did it. He did a good job. He did a good job reading it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it, w- it was fun listening to it this time around. Again, it's not one of my favorites, but I know it's leading to some really good stuff. I feel like drawing the three, which is the next one that really sucked me in. When I got to the second book, that really sucked me in. And again, he had, he had a few big books under his belt by the time he, he wrote the second one, the drawing of the three. Um, and a lot of that takes place in our world. Um, Roland has to step through these doors and bring these people back with him who will be part of his quartet, which is like a, a group of warriors and friends on a quest. And, uh, remembered really enjoying that. But I was super intrigued at this character, 
Roland. I love the idea of a fantasy slash Western and that the knights, you know, if you think about it in the King Arthur legend, instead of knights of the round table, instead of guys in armor carrying swords, it was dudes with revolvers. It was cowboys. It was, you know, gunslingers. Instead of knights, they're gunslingers. And man, that just, I just love that so much. There's just something about that that just, just scratches that creative itch of mine. And I just love it. I just can't get enough of it. And in fact, it's the reason why I started writing Norman, Oklahoma. Um, the gunslinger and the dark tower books were a big influence on that. Now, Norman, Oklahoma is nothing like Roland. They're two completely different people, except for the fact that they both carry a pair of revolvers. And honestly, Roland only carries his two revolvers in this first book. Stuff happens in the second book where he can only use one and he has to give one to somebody else. But this first book was so much fun. And I was really excited when they made the the movie with Idris Elba as Roland Deschain, even though Stephen King has said before that in his mind, he kind of based Roland off of the man with no name, which is the character Clint Eastwood plays in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And um, I don't know the other two, uh, Sergio Leone Spaghetti Westerns he was in as that character. But that's who he always pictured in his head when he created Roland. And that's who I picture whenever I listen to or read these books. But I love Idris Elba. And when they cast him as Roland Deschain, I was like, yeah, I'm fully 100% behind that. When they cast Matthew McConaughey as the man in black, I said, sure, I can get behind that as well. And when they played, when I got the, saw the trailer and I saw him doing his gunslinging, I was super excited. And then the movie really kind of fizzled and it wasn't that good. And it, it's one of those things that they said, okay, we're going to do a movie and then we're going to do a TV show. And that might lead to another movie. And it's like, no, what? No, 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 no. You can't do that. This is one of those series of books that you you just have to do as a show. And I think we've reached that point in our entertainment society where they're starting to realize that if if you've got a good book that you can adapt into a two-hour movie and still get the point of the story across, fine. But there are certain books that you just can't do that with, and they need to be a series of TV shows. And I think The Dark Tower is one of those. And I feel like I read somewhere that they're pursuing that option again. I don't remember with who. I'll look into it. Maybe by the time we do part two, uh, I'll get back to you with some information on that. Unless you've looked it up already. <laughs> you know, what's to stop you from doing that? But I'll, I'll look it up and I'll try to get some information together for the next episode. But that's, that's it. That's book one. That's the first book. Um, I'm looking forward to, to listening to the rest because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to these through the, through the app. Um, the Overdrive Libby app from my library so I can check them out and listen to them. And, and, uh, yeah, book one, it was, it's okay. It's good. It's very, you know, Stephen King is really good about just giving you a sense of atmosphere with his books. And this entire book feels, you just feel like you're in that desert. It just feels old. You feel like the world is old and dirty and sandy and rusty and doesn't quite work anymore. It used to be just this colorfully splendid, wonderful place with, you know, that sparkled with gold and jewels. And now it's just this rundown desert wasteland broken world. That's what you feel like. That's what he, he just, he really evokes 
that feeling in this book. You just, you, you know, that's one of the things that he's always been able to do. The, the way he writes, the language he uses, it, it really puts you in that world. And it almost makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable being in that world. There's, you just know that the, you just feel like there's something wrong. There's something off about this world that Roland lives in. And it's just not a place that you want to be. And you probably don't want to hang out with somebody, you know, somebody like Roland. But uh, at the same time, entertaining, you know, like I said, the first three books, maybe I listened to and then I think I've read the rest of them. I bought the rest of them as they were coming out. Um, but this time around, I'm just going to read. I'm going to listen to all of them because I don't know where those copies are anymore. They may be up in the attic. They may be. I may have sold them a long time ago. But book two, we're going to get to that one next. It's the drawing of the three. And like I said, it's it's the one where Roland meets the three people that are going to be part of his quartet, his group questing for the Dark Tower. And I believe they're all in the rest of the series. Honestly, I don't remember. And you never know a Stephen King, you know, he freaking kills Jake off right away in this first book. So who knows what's going to happen to these folks by the end of the series? Because I honestly don't remember most of this. I do remember that there's one book that, I don't know, I was almost put off when I got to it because while it starts out with the the group, with Roland and his quartet, most of it is him telling a story that happened when he was, after he became a gunslinger. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Does this advance the story in any way? I don't remember. I remember feeling at the time that it didn't and it got on my nerves that I spent this entire time reading this book that didn't advance the story. It just told a bunch of backstory, but you know, maybe I'll feel different this time around when I get to it. I I, I don't know. But the next one is the drawing of the three. I don't know when I'm going to get to that because like I said, I need to listen to it first and listening to it through the library and only, they only give you a certain number of days to have it. And since I'm no longer driving back and forth to work, since I'm working from home, I don't always have a lot of time to sit down and listen to books. So it may be a month or two before we get to the next book. But until then, I'm Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.